ECU. Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Okay, welcome into today's show on 94.3 The Game. It is a Thursday, October 19th edition of Hoist the Colors. We are two days away from East Carolina hosting the Charlotte 49ers inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium. That'll be a 2 o'clock kickoff, and we're shortly going to be joined by Jeremy Grandison, who covers Charlotte football for SB Nation to preview the 49ers. We are also going to recap ECU Basketball Media Day on today's program. We just... Talk with every single player on the roster except one who was out for personal reasons and also the coaching staff at ECU that was there. There were a few coaches who were on the road recruiting. So we'll have a full recap of ECU Basketball Media Day, talk about what we learned. Philip Pilkington and Scott Rogers were there as part of the IBX media team. So we will get their take on it. I'll share what I learned. We'll uh, briefly recap some of the other Things we learned throughout the the morning. And then we actually have Women's Basketball Media Day coming up tomorrow. Kim McNeil's team will talk to them on Friday at 1 o'clock following the show. And we'll have coverage throughout the coming days of that as well. So less than three weeks until the college basketball season opens. And we will get into that more as we get closer to that. And Scott Rogers will join us later on today's program as well. All right, let's talk Charlotte and East Carolina. Let's go out to the live line and welcome in Jeremy Grandison. He is the Charlotte beat writer for SB Nation. Does a lot of good work over there. So, Jeremy, first off, welcome into the show. And how excited are Charlotte fans for this matchup between East Carolina? Two in-state teams going at it. Hey, Steven. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on the show, first of all. And to kind of answer your question, Charlotte's been looking for an in-state conference rival for a long time. With the move to the AAC, they're really excited to be able to kind of have that NC State versus, you know, UNC and those types of rivalries, and now they have one. So they're happy, and they're looking forward to uh, going in there and trying to get a win in Greenville. So clearly not the start. Either team has wanted Jeremy to the season. Both of the, both of the squads are 1-5 and five coming to this 2 p.m. matchup. On Saturday, different circumstances. Charlotte has a first first year head coach. Uh, everybody knows Biff Pogey and what he's all about there in Charlotte. We'll get into that in a little bit. East Carolina, a little bit different. Fifth year head coach. Uh, you know, not quite living up to expectations right now based upon the standard ECU set the past few years. So early on, what's been the reaction from Charlotte fans to the start? They've been in a lot of games, just haven't had those wins. So how would you kind of you know sum up the uh, the season at this point for Charlotte? Ooh, the season, good question. The season so far has been a surprise to many, and I think that's because when Biff came at his introductory press conference, he promised a lot. He came in saying our goal is to win the AAC. He came in thinking that we're going to flip this program around immediately, and that's just not how it goes in college football. Um, so fans kind of have that reaction of, well, where are those promises that you were giving us early on in the season? Now, you're right. Charlotte Wade, they went into the swamp, they went into UF, and they put up a fight in the swamp. And then the week after, they uh, kind of have a lackluster performance against SMU. So it's kind of been up and down to the Niners right now. But I think right now it's just a lot of uncertainty around the team. A lot of players have been falling down to injuries. Darrell Robinson, true freshman star running back who committed to Charlotte on ESPN on national television, he's out for the season 
And there's just a lot of injuries happening, too. The Charlotte defense is still really good, but fans are saying we got to be able to put up points in a conference that is known for putting up points, and we haven't seen that so far. Yeah, the over-under in Vegas this Saturday is set for, I think, 41, which is about as low as you'll see in a college football game. It has been a major struggle for East Carolina. Offensively, they are averaging just 11.4 offensive points against FBS teams uh, per game. Charlotte has struggled to score. So you mentioned the injuries. Uh, they've been playing multiple quarterbacks. Give us the rundown on the quarterback situation. We've seen Jalen Jones. We saw, uh, you know, the other kid as well, more of the pocket passer last week against Navy. Any idea who they may go with this weekend? I'm sure Biff's not telling you guys, but any gut feel? Yeah, absolutely. I actually asked Biff Tuesday for the midweek press conference about this same thing. So after the game happened against Navy, Charlotte had their first shutout, or they haven't scored a point. First time doing that since 2017. And I asked Biff in the post game. I said, why wasn't Jalen out there more? And he said, you know what? We have to put him out there more. I think on our offense, this is his quote, I think on our offense we don't have erasers. And an eraser is somebody who on third and nine, you can throw it up to them. They can go and kind of cancel out, you know, whatever happened on those first and second downs. Charlotte doesn't have that guy on offense who can just completely erase the mistakes. And he said the closest thing we have to that is Jalen Jones. Now, we saw Jalen Jones, to many surprise. I'm in the press box with uh, Hunter Bailey, as you know. And we're watching the game, and Jalen Jones starts the game lined up at wide receiver. And we're looking at each other like, what is going on? Uh, he was out there for the first drive, and then he saw the field a handful of times for the remainder of the game. I asked Coach about that, and like you said, Trexler Ivy is more of a pro-style drop back, pass the ball um, in the air, not really a dual threat quarterback. And he said the reason why Trexler got the start is because he had 98% of the first team reps this this week leading up to the game. And Jalen Jones just didn't have those reps, so we wanted to put Trexler out there. But it seems like Coach Poji knew something would have to change. So if I were going to give you a guess, I'd say Jalen Jones might be suiting up and starting out for the uh, Charlotte 49ers on Saturday. We are visiting with Jeremy Grandison, who covers Charlotte for SB Nation, does a lot of good work with that site. Also can hear him on the Charlotte uh, 49ers podcast, Highway 49, uh, with Hunter, who we had on earlier this summer. So, Jeremy, 1-5 coming in, as we talked about. But the defense has played well, it seems like, and, and they really stifled that Navy option attack until they gave up two big plays in the second half. So it feels like at least all the guys Biff brought in on defense have, have played pretty well together. They've gotten better kind of throughout the season. So what have you seen on defense? Yeah, the defensive side of the ball is night and day compared to the offense. So the defensive coordinator right now is Ryan Osborne. He was at Michigan. He also was with the Baltimore Ravens last year. So he's been around and talking to him, he's just – he loves football. The way he talks about the game, he – he analyzes it, and, and he really loves to talk about the ins and outs of defense. But Ryan Osborne has these guys playing with hair with their um, with, with their hair on fire. He said that I expect everybody in in this facility to play like there's no tomorrow, and they don't care what the score is. They don't care what's happening on offense. Their goal is to pressure the quarterback, let him make decisions, quick decisions, and then allow the secondary and the linebackers to kind of make plays and create turnovers for that defense. Like you said, man, they have a lot 
of people who can rush the quarterback and burst into the backfield. Some names, Yabi Oki, Michigan transfer, Nakai Hill Green, Michigan transfer, Stone Handy, another good player for the Niners defense. What they did on defense is say, we don't want young guys coming in here and having to learn systems. We want experienced players. We want players who have been in these environments before and these hostile away environments so that they can immediately come in and give us production. That's what we've been seeing so far. Raising with Jeremy Grandison, Charlotte beat, beat writer for SB Nation. All right, let's talk about Biff. It's, uh, you know, I sent out the tweet earlier this week. He said he's going to go to Sup Dogs, do a hot dog review there. That kind of has blown up a little bit on social media. We've seen all the quotes from really since the day he was hired where he kind of just tells it like it is. He seems like he'd be a lot of fun to cover. So what's it like being in those press conferences? It is fun. Biff is, he's a great guy. He's like you said, he's very transparent. He's going to give it to you. He's not going to kind of dodge or, you know, try to dance around his main objective or his main point. He's just going to give it to you straight. And some of those press conferences after some losses kind of leave you walking out of there like, whoa, what did I just witness, man? He's calling everybody out. But at the same time, he also says that he just hates losing. So, when you catch him on a Friday night after a loss or a Saturday night after the loss, you're getting the real unfiltered, the raw Biff OG. And then he comes in on Tuesday. He's able to watch film. He's able to evaluate what happened. Then you kind of get a, I guess, a, uh, a more even-keeled Biff Poji. But it's been really fun. The guy has been around. He knows what it takes to win. And I think he's realizing that nothing happens overnight. And I'm excited to see where he takes this program because he looks like he's committed. He's here for the long haul, and he's got a lot of plans moving forward so that Charlotte isn't 1-5 uh, at the same time next year. And I was going to ask, too, like those antics, I think, especially, you know, when he was at Media Day and talking about being picked last and telling it like it is and having some fun. Like, it, it is fun in games to, to a degree, but then when the losses start piling up, any, you know, any sort of, you know, antics from a coach, whether he kind of sticks to the professional way, whether he sticks to having fun, like Biff can kind of wear on a fan base. So as they have lost some games here, are the fans still behind all that stuff? Do they get tired of it at all, or is it too early to for the honeymoon period to be over? I think it's a little too early for the honeymoon period to be over. Uh, Biff signed a, a long deal here. He's here and he's committed for the long term. It's not one of those things where one or two years and he's upset and he leaves. The thing I'll say about Biff is we said this at the beginning of the season on the Highway 49 podcast. We said before the season starts, he's cracking jokes, he's charismatic, he's doing all these things. How is he going to be week six, week seven, after you've taken these losses like you just said? And to be honest, he's kind of been the same person. He hasn't wavered much from how he was at the beginning of the season However, I think that the confidence of the team has been slipping a little bit because you can hear him constantly say, we just have to know where we are during this season. We can't get, we can't get, a, we can't get down on ourselves because they're seeing these scores. They're seeing shutouts. They're seeing Trexler Ivy go out there or Jalen Jones go out there and struggle and take backs for 12, 14 yard losses. But how do you go in the next week? How do you make sure that your practice reps are still as hard as they were week one as they were week two? Um, Charlotte right now, they're 1-5. They're going into ECU. They've got a lot of stuff to try and cover and fix. But right now, the mood around the team is still, hey, we believe in ourselves, and that's all we need so far, and that's all we need going forward. 
Jeremy Grandison is with us from SB Nation, covers the Charlotte 49ers. And we had a discussion earlier this week, Jeremy, on this show about can Charlotte and East Carolina become a rivalry, especially in football, going forward. And look, I mean, it's the first matchup. I I don't think it can realistically be a rivalry yet. I think you're going to have to have some games. You're going to have to have some storylines develop. Uh, I was I was hoping Biff or Mike Houston would maybe try and stir up the pot a little bit this week, but that really has not taken place. So what's kind of the you know the, the take on this game, this series moving forward, especially in football where these two teams have never met, do we think this can become some sort of you know fun and interesting robbery game going forward? I absolutely think it can be, and that was my first question to Coach Poggi on Tuesday. I said, hey, it's the first meeting ever for these two programs in-state conference rivals, in-state rivals, or, you know, just having that person in-state that you guys can kind of jab with back and forth. And he said, to be honest, man, we haven't played them before. This isn't a rivalry yet. Maybe later down the road. But for right now, we're both sitting at 1-5. and We're both not where we want to be um, in the season, in the program. So right now, I can't call it a rivalry. But I do think it has the potential, absolutely, to become a rivalry. And it just takes, like you said, that game, that storyline, one of the coaches saying something, something coming out, and then the fans can kind of go with that and, and let that keep um, and let that keep growing. The in-state rivalry for though for me though is it's the AAC. They both moved here. Or Charlotte moved here earlier. Charlotte is looking to not just join the AAC. They're looking to win it. Biff Poggi stated that, and ECU has the same goal. So if they both have the same goals, they'll be seeing each other year in and year out. I think this has potential to be a great rivalry, and I guess we'll just see on Saturday how this shapes up for the first time. Craig Littlefield is on YouTube with us or Facebook. He says, so is this going to come down to whose defense plays better? And I guess in a way, yes, but uh, my thing, Jeremy, is which offense can find a way to score maybe two or three touchdowns. I mean, it's just been so painful for ECU to string together multiple touchdown drives in a game. Charlotte clearly has been the same way. So what's your what's your take on this game? How do you kind of handicap it? And is does it come down to which offense can maybe hit a big play or two? Because I, I don't necessarily see either offense sustaining a bunch of drives. Absolutely. So Charlotte's defense is really good. They're stout. But the thing about the defense is if your offense is going out there and having three and outs and not being able to put together a string together first downs, it really wears on the defense too, right? So I'd say that... It's going, to be, it's going to be about the offense, like you said. What team can be able to make that drive, have that big play, go down the field, score a touchdown? And in the UF game, we saw that Trexler Ivy started their game out. They put in Jalen Jones. The UF didn't have an answer for Jalen Jones' dual threat abilities. He was able to kind of give them a new look that they may not have been prepared for. And I don't know what the case will be for ECU and Jalen Jones or Trexler Ivy, but it's going to come down to what offense can make that one play, make that one big splash play. Going back to what I said earlier about Coach Poggi and the erasers, Charlotte's wide receiver room is not deep, and they don't have that star wide receiver. They have players like Jairus Mack, Jack Hysdera. They have a tight end in Colin Weber. They have players, but they don't have erasers that can take over games. I don't know about ECU's wide receiver room, but I will say that Charlotte's offense is going to have to put up points at some point if they want to win games, not only this game, but for the rest of the season. 
right, Jeremy, if anybody's looking to do any last-second reading or listening to you guys, where can they find your work uh, as far as, you know, previewing this game or just on Charlotte, reading up on Charlotte 49ers football? Where can they find your work? Absolutely. You can find my preview for the Charlotte ECU game on SB Nation, more specifically Underdog Dynasty. I actually put up a preview just now, about 30 minutes ago, recapping or previewing this game, what I think is going to happen and talking about both teams. It also includes quotes from the midweek press conference and the post game after the Navy game. But I just want to say thank you for having me on, Stephen. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. He is Jeremy Grandison. Jeremy, we appreciate the time. We'll talk again down the road again. You know, I think this is uh, the first of many meetings and many sports for these two teams going forward. So thanks for the time. We'll catch up again. Thank you. All right, he's Jeremy Grandison. Good insight there on the Charlotte 49ers. We will take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by Scott Rogers, the ECU baseball play-by-play voice, also new member of the IBX media team. He was at ECU Basketball Media Day for the men earlier this morning. We'll talk about what we learned with him and our producer, Philip Pilkington, go over some of the storylines there, discuss what we still want to learn about this basketball team. Maybe we'll also have some baseball insight. Scooter and I were both at Clark Leclerc for the baseball scrimmage against Clemson this past Sunday, so we'll get into those things going forward. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. We'll be right back. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back to the show on this Thursday, October 19th edition of Hoist the Colors. And we just talked Charlotte ECU football. We did that with Jeremy Grandison from SB Nation. Got some good insight there. It's got to be fun to cover Biff Pogey and... Uh, Scott Rogers has joined us in studio, play-by-play voice for ECU Baseball, also now a member of the IBX media team, so you'll see him a lot more on this show and others. And Scooter, what do you think it would be like to interview Biff instead of Cliff Goblin? It'd be interesting. It would make our uh, it would make our pregame shows uh, very interesting. I'd probably have to have a longer segment. Yeah, because what do y'all usually average, like five minutes for Cliff? I would game? say so, yeah. Biff, you might get a five-minute answer. That's right. So, uh, but to Cliff, I tell you what, I like, I love listening to y'all's, uh, pregame, especially, you know, coming off a win, he's, he's, he's going to be intense either way, but if they're coming off a loss, you can just tell he is just in game mode from like oh, yes. question one. Oh, yes. So, have you ever been, been nervous in one of those situations pregame? Very much. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, so we just left ECU basketball media day. The men had their media day this morning. We'll have women's. Media day tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Uh, I'll be a little late getting over there because we've got the show, but I'll be there for Kim Ingles presser and, and player interviews. Today we talked to the men. We had Mike Schwartz. We also talked to basically every player. Takori Faison was not there due to personal reasons, so we didn't talk to him, the freshman four from Goldsboro, but everybody else was there. And uh, we talked to Mark Adams, talk, talked to Riley Davis, Reggie Williams and, and Coach Morton were on the road recruiting. So we got a lot of insight on ECU basketball. Uh, Philip Pilkington was there as well. He's producing. We'll start with you, Scott. Did, any big storylines, takeaways from your media day experience? I wouldn't say there wasn't any uh, big storylines. Uh, the one thing that I thought was very interesting coming out of today was seeing how it appears this team is very close-knit together. You know, They were joking around with each other 
once interviews got over with, making fun of each other. And I think that shows how close they are together, which is obviously good for off the court, but also good on the court as well. Philip, did you have any big takeaways from your, your interviews or discussions with anybody? Kind of building off what Scott brought up with the tightness of the team. And I think that is, I took away that it comes from the top and it comes from the coaching staff. Because when I asked every kid who was new to the program, what brought you here? They talked about the brotherhood and they talked about how well the coaching staff really seemed to care about the athletes. They said they went to some other programs where you just almost seemed like you were just a piece of the puzzle and you weren't really a person. But when they came here, they really felt welcomed by the coaches, welcomed by the teammates. So, you know, kind of building off Scott's point, yeah, it is the it is the athletes, but it's the coaching staff as well. It starts at the top, and I think that's the kind of guy Mike Schwartz is. Yeah, I enjoyed, and we were talking about with Scott a minute ago, after the guys were done with their interviews, they would get up, they were joking around with each other. Uh, they they hung out, you know, kind of messing around, talking. Like we've been at other media day events with teams where they finish up their interviews and they just head out. You know, they were kind of congregating and and you know talking to several players and coaches off the record as well. Just you know, kind of shooting the mess with them a little bit. And it just, it just seems, and I know this is cliche, guys, but it seems like a great culture. Like, and there's a lot of positivity around the program right now. But like when you see them in that environment. When the cameras aren't on them, it seems like they're very, they're in a very good spot right now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that shows what Coach Schwartz has done to change that culture because, you know, obviously we've watched EC basketball for a lot of years and the culture has not been good with that program a lot of times. And just to see the difference just from, from this year versus last year is amazing too with this team. And so, you know, it's going to be very exciting to watch them this year because they just, it just looks like a team. It's just off the court, not seeing them play yet. It looks like a team that's going to mesh very well. So we are watching the two. So the two transfers they brought in, as of right now, ECU will be scrimmaging this weekend. They scrimmage this Sunday. Um, I don't know if it matters or not who they, they play. We all know, at least those of us that went to media day, because players were talking about it. But either way, I guess I won't announce it for now. Uh, it'll come out eventually. But VIP. Yeah, VIP information on Hoist the Colors. <laughs> Uh, you know, Bobby Pettiford right now has a hamstring he's dealing with. It dates back to Kansas. He was telling me there's some scar tissue in there, like he's just taking it easy. I don't, I don't know what it all entails. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to try to guess a timeline for his return. But Coach Schwartz has said, look, they don't want to rush it, make it any worse. So we're monitoring that situation. Also, Cam Hayes, no news on his waiver. He's the two-time transfer previously of NC State. Last year of LSU, and right now we don't really know the status of definitely of Cam. We don't know when Bobby will officially be back. So those are two kind of questions, Scott. We don't really know. It's the season two and a half weeks away. We don't really know their status. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you know, I think you're you're in a better spot, obviously, if you have both of them. But I think you're more hopeful to have Pettiford than Hayes right. just off the situation, but. If you don't have both of them going into the season, that right off the bat is very frustrating. But Pettiford, he's going to be back at some point this year, which is going to help. You know, just having a good point guard, one with experience, is going to be so much big for this team. And, uh, you know, that's one thing, you know, someone else brought it up at Media Day today, how, you know, with today's world of college basketball, especially at a program like East Carolina, where you have so many returners coming back that says a lot about what coach Schwartz has done and so I think having that experience on this team this year is going to be huge 
And <clears throat> they do. The good news is they do have Jaden Walker, mm-hmm. and we know he can run the point. Caleb Account ran the point at times last year. He's a guy that I thought specifically in the scrimmage looked a lot more comfortable the open scrimmage prior to the SMU game. And then Logan Bourgeois, I actually talked to him a little bit, the walk-on freshman from France who, look, I follow recruiting. Usually I, when I see a name pop up on the roster, Scott, I'm pretty familiar with it. He is one that, that like even I had to go, all right, where did this guy come from? I asked Coach Schwartz about him, and he said it was kind of just a situation right place right time he's like with the portal maybe there's not as much international recruiting as usual so they got kind of lucky there they feel like he can really help so you do have other point guard options and the other thing i was going to bring up you look at the schedule you can realistically and you know if bobby's ready to go they'll they'll definitely try to get him back but you don't have to rush him back i mean you open with ferrum campbell should be a winnable game usc upstate should be a winnable game I mean, your first six games, even the, the, the multi-team event inside Minji's Coliseum where you face Northeastern, Georgia Southern, and Kennesaw State back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, your first six games are at home. So you have a manageable schedule. It starts to get tough November 25th. So basically late November, you go at George Mason, UNCW. You do get uh, Maryland Eastern Shore in between hosting South Carolina and going to Florida. So – I would say late November is where you really ideally hope to have a healthy Pettiford. Right, and, you know, looking at that stretch, you know, we knew we were going to be playing those teams, but never really sat down and looked and said, wow, what a stretch a that stretch. is. With George Mason, Wilmington, and you got South Carolina and Florida in there as well. But that's going to be a very, that's probably the toughest stretch ECU's basketball has had in terms of non conference in quite some time. But, yeah, I mean, you have those first six games and, you know, really those first three are going to be, you know, really finding this team out in those first three games. You know, you said Ferrum, which that Ferrum game will be, a, a with it being the first game, obviously you'll have your first game jitters and everything, but that's a good opponent to have a first game against. It really gets to see what you've got. And then you've got Campbell. I know they played here last year, and that was a uh, – that's normally a, a decent program. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one thing with this non-conference schedule is you look around it and yes, you see Campbell, you see USC upstate and maybe the casual fan says, gosh, you know, we should be able to beat them. No problem. But all of these programs that they're playing in non-conference have had success in the past. And so that shows how good this non-conference schedule is this year. Kennesaw State coming off a tournament appearance. They did lose their coach, but as you mentioned, like any of these teams, I don't think all of them are going to be great. But they're all capable of coming to the Minjis and, and beating ECU. Absolutely. They don't play well. So it'll be interesting. And I, I definitely think getting those first six at home and 20 home games overall, guys, that is a lot of home basketball. I can't – I mean, has that ever happened? I don't think so. It's I've never heard that many home games before. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to see – look at the record books. I mean, it's just – and I asked Schwartz, too, about the net rankings because if you're at home – Kind of like the RPI, Scott, you, you don't get as much credit for a home win versus like a neutral or road win. Um, but he said they just couldn't pass up the opportunity to play that many home games and get in the empty at home. So I thought that was, was interesting as well because they only leave in non-conference Menjis twice, George mm-hmm. Mason and Florida. So, and really that's only one true road game yeah, in non-conference play. True road game, and they, they scrimmaged George Mason last year because uh, Kim English was the head coach. Him and Schwartz are pretty tight. So, uh, interesting matchup there now that English is gone. Did either of you guys talk to Brandon Johnson 
Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. So Brandon last year, and he was he's still somewhat soft spoken, but last year he he was not comfortable at all in front of the camera. I thought today he handled himself much better. He seems to to me have matured as much as anybody year over year. Um, and I don't know how deep y'all went into it with him, but I asked him basically what has changed mentality wise, and he said, "I'm just treat." He basically said, "I'm acting like I'm a pro now." Like, and I was talking with with Coach Riley Davis after the media day event. He said, "Brandon Johnson is the first person every day to the facility, parks his Jeep, backs it in in the same spot every day, is there before seven thirty, and just like." I guess he's just taking this approach where he is just the hard, he's going to be the hardest working guy, most dedicated, and I think it's showing. Yeah, and he's in that position too, where he's been in this program for correct me if I'm wrong, three years now. Yes, that right? third yeah, third year, yep, three years, and so you know, taking on that leadership role as an older guy, and you know, he's another part of that experience piece this year, and so I think that this team really is going to be not really centered around Brandon Johnson a lot, but he's going to be definitely a, a key leader on the court this year. We give RJ and Ezra a lot of hype, but it feels like Brandon is is definitely right up there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Brandon, you know, he came in as a, as a JUCO guy from Brunswick, and you know, just seeing his growth from his first year here to to now is unbelievable. Just how far, you know, you look at last year, just with him and his three point game from last year, how much that got better. And you know, even and Mike Schwartz talked about it today at Media Day, how you know he made that big jump last year, but. He's already made a big jump from yeah. last year to this year too, and so just just watching him grow, and you know, with what you just said, with what Riley Davis told you about him being the first one to facility every day, shows how hard he's working, and he definitely wants success here at East Carolina. And when I asked him, you know, I brought up the three point thing, Scooter. I said, you know, last year it was the three point. What did you work on this year? And he looked me dead in the eye and said, my leadership. You know, my work ethic. You know, he don't get me wrong. He probably has developed some skills in the off season, but. He wants to be, I think, the focal point of this team, and that doesn't necessarily mean from a from an on the court standpoint. I think it's just much of an off the court standpoint and setting the tone. And you could tell, and you know, you kind of mentioned Igo too with him being camera shy. Like when we were um, interviewing, uh, how do you say it? Is it uh, starts with a C? Sierra Milano. Sierra, yeah. Yep. And like I asked Sierra, I was like, you know, what one of the, you know, what guy do you look most forward to going against in practice? You know, who do you? Like get into it with, and Brandon is standing behind him with his name card, going Brandon Johnson. You know, like it, that was just not Brandon a year ago. So he is totally a new person, and I think that's going to be good for him as well as good for the team because, like we said, he's a third year guy. This team is not old, not at all. And it, but like, there's a lot of experience because they all played last year. But then when you look at it, like they can all come back next year, I think, or at least darn near all of them can all come back next year. And Brandon's ready to be that guy. And that's one thing, you know, when you look at East Carolina basketball in the past, you know, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, but you, you'd never have looked out there, especially in the past, I would say five or six years and say, this guy is the clear leader of this team, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, outside of maybe Jaden Gardner when he came back, but even then it was like there was a new team around him every year. So like he had to. He almost had. There was one year Dooley basically just brought back Jaden Gardner. Mm -hmm. It was like 12 new guys around him. So it's like he. He was the leader, but he didn't really know how to lead because he didn't know his teammates. Right. And, and so having that, you know, having someone that's actually a leader out there, I think is going to be huge for this program. And, you know, Coach Schwartz talked about it at the conference media day a couple weeks ago or a week ago, whenever it was. And he said, you know, the biggest thing with him right now is 
making this into a program and not having a roster every year. And I think that kind of, you know, opened up a lot of people's eyes because that just in one year, he's really done that, especially with today's world of college basketball. It's harder than ever to do it, which is, it makes it pretty impressive. He was able to do it year one. Sustaining it will be the key. I think a lot of it comes down to winning. I mean, if you win, fans want to give more money to your program. We know NIL plays, plays a role in this. But guys want to be a part of a winning program. And when you win, it's much easier to retain talent. And last year, they won at a 500 clip, which is good for ECU. I think they can exceed that this year. My question to you guys is how often do you all get into work at 730 and park your car in the same spot, back it in each day? I was sleeping at 730 this morning. What about you, Phil? I was answering text messages from work people and posting stuff on social media, but I was not in the facility. At 7.30. So you weren't working on your three-point jumper at that time? I was not. That's fair. Uh, any other interviews you guys enjoyed or got, like, you know, we got a chance to meet some of the freshmen. You, you guys mentioned Sear. Um, you know, Callum Richard I thought was well-spoken for a big guy. Any other, you know, names, individuals stand out to you all? I think, you know, on the coach's side, Mark Adams was an yeah. awesome interview. Me, I was filming. Philip was doing audio and asking the questions. But, you know, he was asking us, you know, like, how long you've been in radio? You know, what do you like about Greenville? You so know, he what was re- interviewing y'all. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, and I mean, he was talking about how, you know, he listens to the oldie station with IBX, right. how he listens to the other stations, and just a, a super personal guy. And I think, you know, he's going to be an unbelievable addition to this staff, and it's going to be good, to, or it's going to be cool to watch him this year from that assistant coach's role as well. You mentioned Cullum Richard. I, I don't remember what it was exactly that stood out to me, but he was very well spoken. Just seemed to like really had his head on his shoulders. Like was not afraid to admit, like, hey, yeah, this is a tough transition to college basketball. I have struggled a little bit. It's not been all smooth. So he was very honest, which I appreciated. But another interview that I thought was really interesting, even though it's a guy we've talked to before. So we were talking to Caleb LeCount. He was like giving life advice and comparing basketball to how he like he's learned all these lessons from basketball and how he applies them to his life and it just like it just reminds me again how deep Caleb LeCount is and you know it's he's really fun to talk to West Coast guy obviously we had him on the sub show a few weeks ago which you know we really got to know him which I thought was fun but yeah just uh it was really fun talking to Caleb once again LeCount is uh, definitely one of the best interviews on the team and yeah you mentioned Callum the first thing I asked him was, like, how has this transition been to college? He said, tough, uh, very hard. So, yeah, he was like, I mean, he didn't mince any words. He was like, look, it's been a major challenge, a major adjustment. So, uh, and, and Sears said the same thing. He was like, man, I, I asked him, was like, do you feel like you can be kind of the post-presence to this team in the paint and block some shots? And he was like, well, He's like, I did it in high school. I blocked a lot of shots, but here it's a little different. Like, you can't just stand there and block a bunch of shots. So it's, you know, it's, it's always good to get that refreshing honesty. Uh, the other, I'm doing a story on, uh, the, the three guys from France. You know, we mentioned Logan Bourgeois, Quentin Dabunje, Ben Baela. I talked to them about, you know, when do they get the chance to go home? I mean, they're from France. Quentin says he actually lives more in Miami now. Uh, but his family's back in France, and really they only get to go home once or twice a year. Caleb account from L.A., he's the same way. He was like, I went back home twice last year. I'll probably only go home once this year is what he said. So I don't know how these guys do it. 
I know basketball is what they want to do, so they commit to it, Scott. But you know, being across the country, being in a, another country, it seems like it'd be a lot. Oh yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough. You know, if you're you know eighteen, nineteen years old, and you know you're from another country, and you move on the other side of the world to play basketball, especially. You know, moving to a town like Greenville, North Carolina, yeah. you know, it's it's an adjustment. I don't know um, if I could t- I don't know if I could do it at that age. Right, you know, it's it's very tough, and you know, it's it's amazing to see how they adjust his life. You know, we were talking to Caleb Account, and you know, granted, L.A. versus France, I mean, that's a difference, but right. he said, you know, Greenville has really become home for him. You know, he he doesn't really see himself as a a West Coast guy anymore. He thinks of Greenville as home. Um, but it's 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 awesome to see them adjust to that life and, and really love Greenville as well. All right, we got to get a break in. We'll come back. We will be right back. We'll, we'll actually talk some baseball. Scooter and I were in the – I saw you in the jungle. You were, you were in conversation, so I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, so, well, uh, I was just stalking you. I was chasing my two-year-old around. We'll, we'll talk baseball, ECU, and uh, Clemson went out of this past weekend. They'll scrimmage Virginia this weekend, so we'll talk about that. We'll be right back on a Thursday edition of Hoist the Colors. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Okay, welcome back in. Thursday, October 19th edition of Hoist the Colors. Scott Rogers is in studio. ECU baseball play-by-play voice. Also a member of the IBX media team. Philip Pilkington producing. We had a question from Craig Littlefield who says he's excited about what Coach Schwartz is doing with basketball. What are reasonable expectations for this program this year? As always, I will preface this by saying a lot of it comes down to health. Some luck. We talked about it with Bobby Pettiford. We hope sooner than later he is back, able to go. That plays a role. You won 16 games last year. You bring back a lot. To me, and I think we're going to end up having the same answer because we talked about during the break, 20 wins is attainable. For me, above 500 in the American play for the first time ever, uh, that would be an attainable goal for me. So those are the two marks I'm setting. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I would agree, especially with that 20-win total, you know, obviously looking at the non-conference schedule and then, you look at the returners of this club and how they, as you said, won 16 games last year. And so I think that's a very attainable goal for this team. And then, you know, much like you said, above 500 in conference, I think at least the top six finish in the standings would be a reasonable reasonable goal for this team. What about you, Philip? So, I mean, I'm going to agree with everything you guys said, but kind of go off on a different spot, I guess. I think an attainable goal is to be in every basketball game. And I know we were in more games last year than the year before. There weren't as many just blowouts right from the tip, or maybe not any. But I think this is a team that can be, you you know, with five minutes left in every basketball game, I mean, you're always going to play a bad game here or there. I believe this team has the ability, has the coaching staff, and has the mindset and the leadership to when they are playing an opponent who is better than them talent-wise, to hang with that opponent and give themselves an opportunity to win every single time they step on the court. I like that. I mean, it, this program wants to be built around defense, and typically those types of teams are in every game. It's just a matter of can you hit the key shot at the right moment, and that'll be kind of the deciding factor in a lot of those games. So, And not have a uh, typical ECU road scoring oh drought. Oh, gosh, man. <laughs> the 10-minute road scoring drought. I mean, it's usually the five-minute road scoring drought. It's yep. like clockwork. 
All I, all I know is on stat broadcast, it'll just be like 8.38 without a made field goal for ECU basketball. And it's just like, oh, I've seen this before yep. too many times. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk some baseball. East Carolina hosted Clemson in a scrimmage. There were some big, big names there. Connor Norby, Gavin Williams, Alec Burleson were all back to watch. But uh, Scott Rogers was also there. He was in the jungle. So how did you enjoy Hanging out back at Clark Claire. Good, good crowd, man. It I was. Thought it was an awesome crowd. It was an awesome crowd. I would say there was at least a, at least a thousand yeah, people there. For sure. Um, yeah, sat up in the press box for the first couple innings, talked with Coach O a little bit, uh, caught up with him and talked about this team and how what he's been hearing about him as well. And then for, uh, didn't stay for the whole second game, had some other things to do, but, uh, you know, took a, took a little, little bit to go around the jungle, hadn't seen, a, a, any part of a game from the jungle in, what, two years now? And so that was cool to uh, catch up with some people out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the score was disappointing as well. I mean, I think everybody can agree on that. But when you look at it, you know, you, you know, you didn't see Trey Savage. You didn't have Zach Root. Lunsford Shinkman didn't pitch. And so, you know, a lot of those top guys are, you know, shut down for the fall, as they should be, just with the numbers, number of innings they threw in the regular season this past year. But, uh, yeah, offensively, you know, and, and Clemson had some really good arms. I mean, those lefties they threw out there, yeah, I mean, every good. single one of them was 92 to 90. And so, you know, you're facing some of the top pitchers in, in the ACC this year in that fall game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no reason to, you know, freak out about losing a, a, the fall game to Clemson or anything like that. You know, there's there's obviously still some pieces that looks like that they got to figure out um, – you know, I noticed they had Dixon Williams a little bit at shortstop. You had Colby Wallace at third, which I thought was um, that, that might be a, a legit third baseman in he Colby Wallace. Yeah, and he's he's we've obviously heard good things about him as well. He's a two way guy too, so you didn't see him on the mound. I think at all during that game, but want to see what he's got on the mound as well. And of course, you got what's what's going to be interesting is is the three guys. I think of you know you got Bristol Carter, the really good freshman outfielder. Carter Cunningham and then Cam Clonch. You got those three right there. And of course, with first base kind of being a competition now between Cunningham and Clonch, you know, is there going to be a situation where one of those guys maybe isn't in the lineup if, if Bristol is starting as a freshman this year? But it's good to have that depth. It's good to have that problem because there's, there's so much talent on this team. There's young talent on this team as well, both on both sides of the ball and, uh, you know, just it's just it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think it's a solid group this year. You know, you're not coming in with you know that top ten expectation like some of these teams have, which is good because a lot of times those are the East Carolina clubs that really have really good seasons. And I think too, we'll get a break in here in a second. But uh, Ethan Norby, freshman mm-hmm. pitcher, looked good. Connor Norby's younger brother, he threw the second game, and we saw the you know we saw a hit from Colby Wallace. We saw Dalvin play at third base. We saw Bristol Carter make some decent contacts. So you're starting to figure out if you're the coaching staff, hey, what guys can help us, and that's really what fall is about. It's not about going out. Yeah, you'd like to win the game six to one like Clemson did, but it's not really necessarily about that. No, not at all. And you know, you know, this is the time of year where you figure out, hey, this guy can play this position or this guy can't. You know, you work some guys in two different positions as well because you never know what situation might arise that you need somebody to play in a different spot. And so that's that's what this the fall is about. And you know, I think that was a good example on. Saturday against Clemson because, you know, like I said, you saw Dixon Williams at shortstop during that game, and you never know if 
let's say Joey Barini gets hurt or something like that. You never know if you're going to need somebody like that to slide into that spot. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll give final thoughts on the scrimmage, media day, anything else, Charlotte, ECU as well. This is a Thursday edition of Hoist the Colors. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game, wrapping things up here. Scott Rogers is in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. November 6th is the season opener for ECU basketball. We had men's basketball media day. Stay tuned to 94.3 The Game. The Patrick Johnson Show, also the 94.3 The Game YouTube social media pages, as well as the Hoist the Colors social media pages. We'll have a lot of interviews coming up for media day coverage. We talked about some of our highlights earlier. We were talking baseball a minute ago, and uh, you know we got into that discussion a little bit. The Pirates will be at Virginia this coming weekend. I think that, too, is that... Do you know if that's a Sunday? I think it's Sunday, yeah. Sunday scrimmage as well in Charlottesville, so we'll, we'll try to get some reports on that scrimmage. ECU basketball will also be doing one of its super-secret scrimmages on Sunday as well as they uh, move towards tip-off on November 6th. So football-wise, Scott, any thoughts on Charlotte, East Carolina? It's going to be uh, an interesting football game this weekend. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, you know, this is a, you know, I know we always say that every game's a must win, but this, this is a, if there's ever a must win game, I think it's this one for East Carolina, not only from a just getting a win perspective, but you're playing an in state school, you're playing a conference game. It's just, and you're playing a, a team that's, that's not very good either. You know, I mean, you just, you've got to get a win this weekend. Uh, Really, because when you look at the schedule, you know, with ways Carolina's been playing, you know, you can't say, well, that's a sure win right there. You know, nothing's a, Nothing. a sure win going the rest of the year. When you can't score touchdowns, it's tough to get sure wins. Uh, the, the line opened ECU minus seven and a half. Pirates were a little bit more than a touchdown favorite. It's now down to six and a half. The over was set at 41.5. It's now down to 40.5. So basically Vegas is expecting, you know, a 23-17 type game, which feels reasonable. And some people have told me, like, how can how can the over even be set that high? Because that means ECU's has got to score multiple touchdowns. But I, we said earlier this week, Scott, like it's not really that hard to score touchdowns. It's just ECU and Charlotte right now are making it. Look extremely hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at, I mean, Charlotte didn't even score yeah. last weekend against Navy. Uh, but uh, we were texting back and forth about that. And yeah. I think it was the third, it was like halftime or the third quarter. Or like, hey, make sure you get the ESPN Plus here for this great matchup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I mean, this weekend very well could be, you know, whoever gets the 14 first wins that game just because both offensives have, uh, had so much trouble scoring touchdowns this year. Yeah, and you might need a big special teams or defensive score, big turnover late or big turnover deep in the other team's territory could be a, a pivotal role. So we'll see. We'll have more Joe Sampson tomorrow. will join us in studio. We'll do our game picks, and we'll see how we did last week's. Uh, I'll see if I have another lock of the week that is as good as Jets over Eagles. I doubt I can follow that up. Um, there are only three people in Greenville that made that pick. One of them is Joe Sampson. The other I can't name on the air. Uh, but uh, we'll see what, what what will happen tomorrow. Scott, appreciate the time today, man. Great insight, and uh, we'll uh, 
We'll see how it goes. Baseball season will be here before you know it, and basketball will too. Absolutely. It's a uh, it's crossover season. Hashtag crossover season. Thanks, Philip. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen I.